Chapter Eight of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, a Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Introduction, The Last Abbot of Whaley. Chapter Eight, The Executioner. Dawn came at last, after a long and weary night to many within and without the abbey. Everything betokened a dismal day. The atmosphere was damp and oppressive to the spirits, while the raw cold sensibly affected the frame. All the stir were filled with gloom and despondency, and secretly breathed a wish that the tragical business of the day were ended. The vast range of Pendle was obscured by clouds— and ere long the vapours descended into the valleys, and rain began to fall, at first slightly, but afterwards in heavy, continuous showers. Melancholy was the aspect of the abbey, and it required no stretch of imagination to fancy that the old structure was deploring the fate of its former ruler. To those impressed with the idea, and many there were who were so, the very stones of the convent church seemed dissolving into tears. The statues of the saints appeared to weep, and the great statue of St. Gregory de Northbury over the porch seemed bowed down with grief. The grotesquely carved heads on the spouts grinned horribly at the abbot's destroyers, and spouted forth cascades of water as if with the intent of drowning them. So deluging and incessant were the showers, that it seemed, indeed, as if the abbey would be flooded. All the inequalities of ground within the great quadrangle of the cloisters looked like ponds, and the various water-spouts from the dormitory, the refectory, and the chapter-house, continuing to jet forth streams into the court below, the ambulatories were soon filled ankle-deep, and even the lower apartments on which they opened invaded. Surcharged with moisture, the royal banner on the gate drooped and clung to the staff, as if it too shared in the general depression, or as if the sovereign authority it represented had given way. The countenances and deportment of the men harmonised with the weather. They moved about gloomily and despondently, their bright accoutrements sullied with the wet, and their buskins clogged with mire. A forlorn sight it was to watch the shivering sentinels on the walls, and yet more forlorn to see the groups of the abbot's old retainers, gathering without, wrapped in their blue woollen cloaks, patiently enduring the drenching showers, and awaiting the last awful scene. But the saddest sight of all was on the hill already described, called the Whole Houses. Here two other lesser gibbets had been erected during the night, one on either hand of the loftier instrument of justice, and the carpenters were yet employed in finishing their work, having been delayed by the badness of the weather. Half drowned by the torrents that fell upon them, the poor fellows were protected from interference with their disagreeable occupation by half a dozen well-mounted and well-armed troopers, and by as many halberdiers, and this company, completely exposed to the weather, suffered severely from wet and cold. The rain beat against the gallows, ran down its tall naked posts, and collected in pools at its feet. Attracted by some strange instinct, 
which seemed to give them a knowledge of the object of these terrible preparations. Two ravens wheeled screaming around the fatal tree, and at last one of them settled on the cross-beam, and could with difficulty be dislodged by the shouts of the men, when it flew away, croaking hoarsely. Up this gentle hill, ordinarily so soft and beautiful, but now abhorrent as a Golgotha, in the eyes of the beholders, groups of rustics and monks had climbed over ground rendered slippery with moisture, and had gathered round the paling encircling the terrible apparatus, looking the images of despair and woe. Even those within the abbey and sheltered from the storm shared the all-pervading despondency. The refectory looked dull and comfortless, and the logs on the hearth hissed and spluttered and would not burn. Green wood had been brought instead of dry fuel by the drowsy henchman. The viands on the board provoked not the appetite, and the men emptied their cups of ale, yawned and stretched their arms, as if they would fain sleep an hour or two longer. The sense of discomfort was heightened by the entrance of those whose term of watch had been relieved, and who cast their dripping cloaks on the floor, while two or three savage dogs, steaming with moisture, stretched their huge lengths before the sullen fire, and disputed all approach to it. Within the great hall were already gathered the retainers of the Earl of Derby, but the nobleman himself had not appeared, having passed the greater part of the night in conference with one person or another, and the abbot's flight having caused him much disquietude, though he did not hear of it till the fugitive was recovered, the earl would not seek his couch until within an hour of daybreak, and his attendants, considering the state of the weather, and that it yet wanted full two hours to the times appointed for the execution, did not think it needful to disturb him. Braddill and Asherton, however, were up and ready, but despite their firmness of nerve, they yielded like the rest to the depressing influence of the weather, and began to have some misgivings as to their own share in the tragedy about to be enacted. The various gentlemen in attendance paced to and fro within the hall, holding but slight converse together, anxiously counting the minutes, for the time appeared to pass on with unwanted slowness, and ever and anon glancing through the diamond panes of the window at the rain pouring down steadily without, and coming back again hopeless of amendment in the weather. If such were the disheartening influence of the day on those who had nothing to apprehend, what must its effect have been on the poor captives? Woeful indeed! The two monks suffered a complete prostration of spirit. All the resolution which Father Haydock had displayed in his interview with the Earl of Derby failed him now, and he yielded to the agonies of despair. Father Eastgate was in little better condition, and gave vent to unavailing lamentations, instead of paying heed to the consolatory discourse of the monk who had been permitted to visit him. The abbot was better sustained. Though greatly enfeebled by the occurrences of the night, yet in proportion as his bodily strength decreased, his mental energies rallied. Since the confession of his secret offence, and the conviction he had obtained that his supposed victim still lived, a weight seemed taken from his breast, and he had no longer any dread of death. Rather, he looked to the speedy termination of existence with hopeful pleasure. He prepared himself, as decently as the means afforded him permitted, for his last appearance before the world, but refused all refreshment except a cup of water, and being left to himself was praying fervently, when a man was admitted into his cell. 
Thinking it might be the executioner come to summon him, he arose, and to his surprise beheld Hallen Abbs. The countenance of the rustic was pale, but his bearing was determined. "'You hear, my son?' cried Pasnew. "'I hoped you had escaped.' "'I'm in no danger, Father Abbot,' replied Hal. "'I'm gotten leave to visit you for a minute only, so I mun be brief. "'Make yourself easy. You shanna die by Tongman's hands.' "'How, my son?' cried Pasnew. "'I understand you not.' "'You'n understood me well enough by and by,' replied Hal. "'Dunna be feart when you see me next, and comfort yourself that whatever comes and goes, your death shall be avenged to your worst foe.' Pasley would have sought some further explanation, but Hal stepped quickly backwards, and striking his foot against the door, it was instantly opened by the guard, and he went forth. Not long after this the Earl of Derby entered the great hall, and his first inquiry was as to the safety of the prisoners. When satisfied of this, he looked forth, and shuddered at the dismal state of the weather. While he was addressing some remarks on the subject, and on its interference with the tragical exhibition about to take place, an officer entered the hall, followed by several persons of inferior condition, amongst whom was Hal of Nabs, and marched up to the Earl, while the others remained standing at a respectful distance. "'What news do you bring me, sir?' cried the Earl noticing the officer's evident uneasiness of manner. "'Nothing has happened to the prisoners. God's death, if it hath, you shall all answer for it with your bodies.' "'Nothing hath happened to them, my lord,' said the officer, but—' "'But what?' interrupted the earl. "'Out with it, quickly.' "'The executioner from Lancaster and his two aides have fled,' replied the officer. "'Fled?' exclaimed the earl, stamping his foot with rage. "'Now, as I live, this is a device to delay the execution till some new attempt at rescue can be made. But it shall fail if I string up the abbot myself. Death can no other hangman be found. Of a surety, my lord, but all have an aversion to the office, and hold it opprobrious especially to put churchmen to death,' replied the officer. "'Opprobrious or not, it must be done,' replied the earl. See that fitting persons are provided. At this moment Hallen Abbs stepped forward. "'I'm willing to undertake the job, my lord, and don't have it without for your reward,' he said. "'I'll best him a grudge, I suppose, good fellow,' replied the earl, laughing at the rustic's uncouth appearance. <laughs> "'But thou seemst a stout fellow, and, and one not likely to flinch, and may discharge the office as well as another.' "'If no better man can be found, let him do it,' he added to the officer. "'Ah, humbly thank your lordship,' replied Hal, inwardly rejoicing at the success of his scheme. But his countenance fell when he perceived Demdike advance from behind the others. "'This man is not to be trusted, my lord,' said Demdike, coming forward. "'He has some mischievous design in making the request. So far from bearing enmity to the abbot, it was he who assisted him in his attempt to escape last night. "'What?' exclaimed the earl. "'Is this a new trick? Bring the fellow forward, that I may examine him.' But Hal was gone. Instantly divining Demdike's purpose, and seeing his chance lost, he mingled with the lookers-on, who covered his retreat. Nor could he be found when sought for by the guard. "'See you provide a substitute quickly, sir.' 
cried the earl angrily to the officer. "'It is needless to take further trouble, my lord,' replied Demdike. "'I am come to offer myself as executioner.' "'Thou?' exclaimed the earl. "'Aye,' replied the other. "'When I heard that the men from Lancaster were fled, "'I instantly knew that some scheme to frustrate the ends of justice was on foot, "'and I at once resolved to undertake the office myself, "'rather than delay or risk should occur.' What this man's aim was, who hath just offered himself, I partly guess, but it hath failed, and if your lordship will entrust the matter to me, I will answer that no further impediment shall arise, but that the sentence shall be fully carried out, and the law satisfied. Your lordship can trust me.' "'I know it,' replied the earl. "'Be it as you will. It is now on the stroke of nine. At ten let all be in readiness to set out for Wiswall Hall. The rain may have ceased by that time, but no weather must stay you. Go forth with the new executioner, sir, he added to the officer, and see all necessary preparations made. And as Demdike bowed and departed with the officer, the earl sat down with his retainers to break his fast. End of chapter 8